When you think of art, what do you think of? A painting? Perhaps the Mona Lisa hanging in the Louvre in Paris? A Roman statue in a Sarai al-Hamra in Tripoli? A Malouf performance? Do you think of law? From Picasso's Guernica, showing us the horrors of war, to the street art that inspired us all across Libya in 2011, the relationship between art, justice, and truth is an important one. In this episode, we explore what art tells us about the Libyan conflict, how it challenges preconceptions, and explore if it can play a role in promoting a more just society. We also explore the difference between art and culture, and what that means for identity and for overcoming conflict. To do this, we are joined by Hadia Ghana, one of Libya's most established contemporary artists and conservationists. When she's not building installations that make you smile and uncomfortable in equal measure, she's climbing up some scaffolding to restore the ceramics in Tripoli's old town. If you're inspired to preserve a part of Libya's heritage that means something to you, please visit turathna.ly, that's T-O-U-R-A-T-H-N-A dot L-Y, and upload your contribution. Preserving our culture is an important first step in celebrating it. One warning before we start, art is passion, and so there is some colourful language in this episode that some listeners may find offensive. Enjoy the episode. Hi Marwa, how are you? Hi Ilham, I'm good. I'm very excited for today's episode, to be honest. I think it's 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 an unconventional uh, way at looking at our accountability and justice thing. Yeah, I mean, I I think... um... The link between art and justice, which is what we're talking about today, has fascinated me for years. Um, And I was trying to think overnight about why that was the case. And and I went back to a very clear memory for me um, of where this all got fired up very early in 2011 um, here in, you know, I'd been to... Tripoli, I was involved, you know, I was involved in trying to figure out what LFJL could be doing then. Um, But then I came back to London and I had this incredible privilege of meeting um, Justice Albi Sachs, who was part of the very first uh, group of judges to sit on the newly formed South African Constitutional Court uh, in the 90s. And he's sort of my personal hero. Um, And so he was, um, he's probably the only person in my life that made me truly speechless. I just sit and just, I don't want to take up the air that he speaks in and I don't want to waste his time by saying anything. And so I just absorb what he says. And one of the most surprising things he told me and um, and explained to me was actually when he was appointed to the court by Mandela uh, post-apartheid and in, after the first election, he was tasked with finding the physical space for the court, like actually finding a new building because they wanted to kind of disassociate with the previous building. And he had a, a ridiculously limited budget. If I remember correctly, it was something like $1,600 uh, or something at the time. And so actually what he prioritized was not the building, but the art within the building. Um, and his idea was, you know, the only way you can get rid of the ghosts of the past and to get rid of the affiliations of the apartheid regime uh, was to get rid of the paintings of the white old men, as he described it. And incidentally, he is he says that he is a, now a white old man. And so it wasn't about a race thing, but it was about the history that that carried and the tired, borrowed image of the blindfolded lady of justice. You know, that for him, those were such strong images of the past. And if we're really saying South Africa is a new country, then it needed a new image and it needed new art and it needed more inclusive. Even the logo of the court had to change. And so he commissioned all these new pieces of art and the logo was something that he was especially proud of. And um, it was designed to be a, a tree, a very stylized tree. Uh, and underneath it were people sheltered from kind of the heat uh, and, and in the shade of the tree. And... The tree had 11 branches and each branch was recognizing one of the 11 official languages of South Africa and really, um, you know, trying to show the, the, the fact that the core would recognize those languages, it would recognize those people and it would be welcoming them all under like an equal umbrella. 
Um, and he also did many things to the building. Like, for example, he removed the stage that judges used to sit on. And now the judges sit on the same level as the people that they're um, judging so that there's more equality. I think they sit in a circle instead of sort of in front of you. And so it's all it was all created to really use the power of art, to use the power of architecture to make justice more accessible and more real to people and more personal to people. And then when um, he told me the story that when Mandela came to see the the court after he kind of designed it, that he said to him, oh, the last time I was in court was waiting to get um, my judgment to be to be hanged. And now I feel here, I'm inciting in this court and I feel safe or, or something to that effect. And so I remember that was really powerful and it sat with me for a while. And then I went back to Cape Town in 2018 and I took my daughter to meet him. And it was a really kind of highlight for my family to introduce them to this incredible man. And he gave me a book, his latest book, which was called Art and Justice. And obviously he'd been thinking about these issues the whole time since he started. And it, and it took him a while to sit down and put his words and his ideas into, into sort of a document to explain why that link is so powerful and is so vital. Um, and so, yeah, for me, this episode is such a personal one because I feel like it's, you know, it, it will bring such amazing issues. But I also feel like it's a, a very, very humble, tiny tribute to the incredible Albie Sachs. Um, so, yeah, so I'm really excited about delving into this. I'm actually tearing up right now, which is going to make this very difficult. If I'm already crying about this topic. I, I, I agree with you, Inham. I think it's, it's a very interesting approach to justice and an important way of looking at justice. And, and, and it's not a standalone, but, um, but it's very, that justice should be holistic um, and it should be a part of our, you know, of our day-to-day -day life and, and, and the fabric of, of our social structure. And I think uh, the way art is, right? And, and so that they should be kind of operating um, in that unison almost. And, and shouldn't be seen as um, justice should not be seen as, as this external thing that meddles um, and comes in in, in in exceptional moments, right? Um, but it's a language that can be um, that that should be accessible to everyone, just as art is. So, so this makes me happy, and I can't wait to get started uh, on this episode because we're going to do hopefully exactly that and bring and merge these two together. So let's let's do this at home. Great. So today's guest is is so exciting. I think um, will really challenge us to think about the legacy of conflict in a very different way. She's one of Libya's best known artists and advocates for Libyan heritage, educated at the University of Tripoli and at Cardiff University and with a number of residencies under her belt, including in Amsterdam and Beirut. She works with ceramics and glass and has produced deeply challenging installations that push us to question the Libyan conflict and wider questions of social justice, like the migrant journeys across the Mediterranean, which was my, my personal first experience of her work. She also created the Ali Ghana Museum, uh, the first art museum in the country, and on its way to becoming a multidisciplinary cultural hub for artists in the country. She teaches, blogs, advocates, and basically breathes art. Um, Hadia Ghana, it is our pleasure to have you on Libya Matters. Yeah, hello. Um, my, my pleasure. I'm very honored. I don't know if, uh, if I'm going to speak well after all what I heard, but uh, it's, it's, it's a honor, really. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Hadia. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, it's it, you know, one of the most incredible parts of, of the 2011 revolution for me personally was in fact seeing the explosion of creativity on the streets and in the art centers all over the country, right? So, I mean, we went from a country that was so 
deprived of that into color and you know street art that um that was fascinating and and beautiful because it was so much expression that was coming out in that and um so maybe you know as we get started uh we can start by reflecting on how you saw that initial phase as someone who was submerged in the art world long before this right and and continue since then so um what have you seen happen to the art scene in the last decade? Well, uh, as, as you said, yeah, in, uh, during the, uh, 2011, um, I think we all were uh, happily surprised by the, the exuberance of, of Libyan, Libyan expression. Uh, the art, yes, the visual art, but also the, the poetry and, and music and uh, uh, all things that uh, we haven't been accustomed to, to hear. Um, of course, um, Arabs, in a way, are known to be to be poets, to and to be melancholic, and to be uh, so. But to be outspoken to this level, it was really uh, a relief, um, meaning that the society is healthy, uh, even even you know with all the decades of uh, <laughs> of difficulties that uh, that the society went through. Uh, I always compare the the decades after the decades after the the, the revolution, like. Um, uh, a pot of milk, you know, it boiled. It boiled uh, uh, during the revolution with all its uh, exuberance, and then the rest we kind of forgot, <laughs> forgotten it uh, on fire. Uh, so it's keeping uh, to boil, but uh, but a bit too much heated. Uh, so it tends to be uh, sometimes uh, uh, aggressive. Sometimes it tends to be um, uh, unexplained, and uh, and all this needs to be matured in, in a way. So for me, this decade is like um, uh, a teenager um, phase where everything is is out, but without really being connected to each other. And um, and we need at some point, maybe now that it's a decade, we need at some point to stop and reflect really seriously about that. And see what is good, what is what needs to be uh, to be uh, encouraged, what needs to be everything is in, in, has to be encouraged in any way. But um, we need to have a, some kind of, of selection. See the good, the bad, the level, the the not to have everything uh, on the same level, because then there is no base for the future generation to um, to step on. In a way, it's all a bit fluffy for the moment. Yeah, and a, a lot of the art that I've been noticing in, in recent years has been less about celebrating the present, but a lot of it is about going to kind of um, almost um, honor the past. And so we, we're getting a lot of modern interpretations of um, traditional dress or uh, traditional kind of habits. And and so this reminds me of the overlap between art and culture. And I always find that so so fascinating and of course they do overlap but i'm intrigued to explore with you what we mean by each of those terms whether there is a difference between art and culture or they or and where they overlap and of course in, in asking this question i'm influenced by recent events that we've seen around the world in the context of the black lives matter movement and the reaction there that have been to some historical pieces of art that are in public domain or statues um and you know we've seen that a lot in black lives matter but we also obviously saw it at the beginning of 2011 in libya where statues from the gaddafi era were destroyed or um uh you know elements of that era was also destroyed and so i guess my question is um a bit of a layered one so 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 bear with me but you know is 
what is art? What is culture? Is there a crossover? And at what point do they become problematic and should be removed or, or eliminated or uh, relocated, perhaps? They should never be removed, <laughs> both of them. <laughs> they are complementary. Uh, I think I see culture as a, as a wider uh, range because it's culture is, is overlapping is is everywhere. Uh, so so that's the big uh, big umbrella. Uh, art is part of of the culture is intertwined because it's a way to express. Yeah? So so if you want to say ex- art is the way to express culture in a way and make it visible, but culture is present in every moment of one's life. So you cannot uh, you cannot uh, erase it culture, you know? because even erasing is part of the culture in, in a way, and that's I mean erasing is a very big part of the Libyan culture. You know? we kind of forget. We tend to be like uh, chronic amnesiacs, and uh, and and uh, for art, for instance, uh, amnesia is not very good. Um, you need to remember things uh, in a way and to reflect on them because art is that as well. It's a, what is, is a, it's a tool to reflect and express. What happens, what happens now, for instance, in Libya is we tend to express without reflecting. Yeah? And that's part of the culture. Uh, it, it's, you know, we say, there's a saying in French, it's écorché vif. Um, which is mean like, uh, you know, the, the people are without skins. So it's every very fragile. So the, the reaction to, to everyday things takes sometimes um, a bigger uh, position than it should be, than it's supposed to be. Can you explain that a little bit more? Just... Let's say, for instance, we don't have electricity. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's a big problem. But in the, in the daily life, I mean, now it's uh, it's like uh, ten years, ten years that we have these erratic uh, um, electricity problems. So if you reflect on it, you say, okay, people lived without electricity. So why can we rearrange our life artistically or you know uh, uh, humanly in a way, in a normal way, to cope with this? Yeah. So yeah, no, and and I think I think that adaptability of art and culture is so is so crucial because it you know it's it's the it's the thing that Maro was saying you know that it's very much part of, it should be part of our fabric and it it evolves the way we do and I guess that's where my question stems from in the sense that um, you know whether it's the story I told about Albi saying there's you know there's no longer a place for old white men in this courtroom their pictures have to be taken down and maybe they go to a museum we've seen in several you know capitals around the world. Um, statues to slave owners being removed um, and, you know, some ending up in the sea, but others, I will assume, eventually will end up in in museums. And so maybe my question, there's a point of culture which defines us and then you choose what defines you as a culture. And perhaps one of the questions that are being is being asked, whether it's in post-apartheid South Africa or in modern Britain or modern US is, we don't want that history of, of, of slavery or, or, or apartheid to define us. We will we will move those memories into, if you like, the museums and outside of the day-to-day culture. Um, and we draw a line between art and culture and say, you know what, this is art of a historical period and it belongs in a specific museum. But our everyday life should be different and our culture should be representative of something different and i and i wonder whether looking at all the stuff like you say the erasing culture we have in libya of uh, whatever happened in the past is deleted 
is a is an extreme version of that, but there is some legitimacy in wanting to say I don't want to be defined by that in who I am today, and therefore I'm readjusting my understanding, if you like. It, it needs to be. There is no. It's not wrong, but it needs to be um, reflected upon. I think. Uh, for instance, like the the even the erasing things that Gaddafi did, you know, like uh, buildings or uh, or this era in, in general. Um, I don't see it as a extremely positive thing. Yes, maybe society needs that to to remove it, but then uh, if, for instance, now the newer generation they don't know Gaddafi, so they don't see why we're doing that. You know, I say well he wasn't he wasn't that bad. Now it's worse. You know, so. If you if you erase all the all the how you say even even in injustice you have that you know when a crime you need to have the weapon to kill no like if there's no corpse there's no crime if there is no you know these are all elements that need to be visible in a way or another it can be in museum it can be in in books it can be in uh, in uh, in films it can be in in things like that you know in every it's small details in in life but erase completely uh, you. You keep on going and doing the same uh, mistake because the components of the origin of these mistakes are all there, still there. The environment, society, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all there and pushing you to do the same mistakes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's very quick. Now, now life is very quick. I mean, these, the, the boys, for instance, the boys who are now in the, in the militias or in the army, they don't know Gaddafi and they don't know what his power of... of uh, uh, of, of stamp, you know, they don't know what is power of of having uh, someone's life uh, in in your hand. They that experience it, they love it, like Gaddafi did, and and the ones with Gaddafi. So uh, and they forgot that, for instance, their parents or their grandparents uh, suffered from that. It's very tricky to uh, to understand that as a society. You can understand it a bit when you're alone and reflecting about it. But uh, but as a society, it's very difficult. And there, where comes the, the the Ministry of Culture and uh, and art and teach and and art teaching and uh, and uh, and all the the NGOs that are lead, dealing with that. You know? How to pass the message, but very subliminally, and and through um, through games, through uh, through the you know the everyday life. It goes into identity as well, a national identity, who we are. And I think that really uh, post-revolution Libya is very much about us trying to find that identity um, and and who we are and and what that means. And so I think that... Yeah, yeah, we we want to have one global identity and and we cannot... That's that's one of the big problem in in Libya. That is that we want to have. We, we have this still again. We have this uh, uh, panarabism. You know, we either want to be Arab or we want to be uh, Amazigh or we want to be. We don't want to be North Africa. But <laughs> yes, yes. So so and and this kind. When we want to be Arabs, then then we push away the other. When we want to be Amazigh, then we push away the other one. And Libya, I mean, is well known to be a passage, even more than other countries where, where you had, a, 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 like, like you say, um, like pharaohs or whatever, civilization growing up within the country. Uh, Libya has been a passage. Yes, we have Garamans that were there. We had a few, few tribes scattered around. But the beauty of the country is its diversity. You know? so, so I think if we manage 
after a few generations to embrace this diversity, this DNA that is, you know, from from everywhere, really, uh, you know, and and to accept in a way that we are North African, meaning that we are African, uh, that would be great, you know. Hi, I'm Mae Thompson, and I work on accountability and transitional justice. In this LFJL Explains, I'm going to talk about the importance of cultural heritage. Whilst cultural heritage may make you picture artefacts dug up by archaeologists, the term is actually much more exciting than you might think. Cultural heritage encompasses all evidence of human creativity and expression. This includes material objects, as well as intangible assets, such as oral traditions, customs and values. In this way, cultural heritage implies a shared bond within a community that represents its history and identity, connects it with the past and benefits its future generations. The protection of cultural heritage is important because it represents a selection process that characterizes all human societies, choosing which memories are worthy of being preserved for future generations and which are not. This process is influenced by both cultural and political factors, especially in post-conflict settings when it becomes even more important to ensure that the voices from every corner of society are remembered and that their version of events is not lost or forgotten. National and international bodies all over the world agree that protecting cultural heritage is important. In fact, participating in and enjoying cultural heritage is a human right laid out in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and protected by UNESCO and other agencies. Cultural heritage is an important way that a society can recognize the truth and reflect on the past. At LFJL, our work is rooted in facilitating access to truth, justice and accountability. And we believe that preserving cultural heritage and building cultural identity is an important part of that process. Based on this, earlier this year, we launched Tarathna, meaning our heritage. Trathna is a platform dedicated to preserving and showcasing Libyan cultural heritage, including music, visual arts, and social traditions. To check out the diverse cultural archives, head to trathna.ly. Notice a piece of cultural heritage that's missing? Have something that you would like to add? Having your say is easy. Upload at trathna.ly forward slash suggest. At LFJL, we launched a, a project called Turatuna. Which is um, which aimed at disseminating and preserving, and also showcasing Libyan culture, culture and heritage. Um, so we see, you know, we see it as celebrating the richness of that of that culture. That it's not just very, it's not one dimension, one dimensional. But we do have a multi layered, um, you know, culture to uh, to absorb and, and take in. Um, and this. This then not only, you know, it, it promotes that the human right, right? So that access to your, to cult, to enjoy cultural heritage. Um, but it could also be a, a possible tool of reconciliation, right? So that kind of looking at the inclusion of all that this is, this is our, uh, the, the identity of, of who we are. And so, uh, but what was most interesting or, or most striking in all of that is is when researching and, and planning this project um, was the 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 visceral uh, relation reactions people had to what was and was not culture, right? So, so as an example was. Um, that you know, some like graffiti from the revolution should not be considered as our cultural heritage because it's not truly Libyan, right? So, um, so I think that that really does kind of fall into what um, what we were saying about you know the the different diversity in terms of of, of our of our identity and that in the culture and and what is truly Libyan, what is Libyan, and I think that we're kind of going through that growing pain um, right now. 
Um, so of trying to figure that out. And so I guess, how do we decide on, on what is cultural heritage and, and what we should preserve and what we should celebrate? And I mean, ultimately, is art not an alternative narrative that we should be exploring? Well, it, you know, in, in heritage, uh, I think well, you have a lot more specialized people than me. Uh, but for instance, in in building also, you have um, a set time of, let's say, a uh, hundred year or fifty year uh, time. Let's say, for instance, the buildings that passed like hundred year, it's seen as heritage. It's seen as historical and need to be protected. But these are laws. Uh, the same, maybe they can be reviewed. Uh, they have been put on uh, at certain points, and maybe it needs to be uh, readapted. You know? um, if I say, for instance, an example with uh, with Gaddafi, now if we start uh, breaking all the you know the big supermarkets, Sugul uh, Mujamma, uh, then we won't have time. In a hundred years, it will be already gone and forgotten. So, so then maybe there is like an emergency uh, list of uh, of heritage type of of thing. I don't know. We need maybe to have a, some uh, amendment. You call that, you know, some some bits to be added. So, um, and and then uh, I guess we need to have a lot of workshops, a lot of discussions, you know, uh, for for arts, you know, to select what is heritage, what is not heritage. Every time the subject goes on and on. But uh, it's not really uh, pinned uh, because um, I guess I don't know. I would see it more like a, like a series of uh, of uh, discussions uh, and examples, uh, study cases on on TV or on radio or something like that, to really focus on what is the different ways to see culture. Yeah. Then, for instance, for, for me, when I say myself, you know, I don't look Libyan. Yeah. So does that mean that I'm not Libyan? Yeah. Sometimes I don't think Libyan, but, but I feel myself, I feel that I think Libyan because if, when I'm in France or so, um, I'm like a Libyan in the middle of French people. Yes, I understand their way of thinking, but I don't think the same. So, so all this on a, on a personal level, I'm sure everyone is the same. So certainly, the ones who come uh, out and uh, in and out Libya, uh, you always have this readjustment thing. So, if each one has this problem of defining what he or she is, imagine on a bigger group how it can be. You know? uh, let's say a society is like a, a big family. Then each one in the family has a different way to see. Uh, to see to see the, the its or, or his identity or, or culture, so um, I guess it would be more like uh, we can say if we if we are in a democratic era, we say okay this year what we see, you know, and then we we put like different aspects of the culture, and we uh, vote, we can vote on on different aspects, and then we say okay this year's identity, <laughs> you know, that's it, we voted that we, this one is our identity. And then we go for it. After, I don't know, let's say, like say four or five years or so, we can vote another, another identity, you know? Because it, it evolves with, uh, with, uh, with time as well, you know? Identity of the newer generation is not the same identity of the, of the older. And I think it's a mistake to, to try and, 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 uh, and homogenize 
to uh, to make it homogen. Huh? Yes, saying like like you said before, you know, when you you paint, you do a painting with the with the traditional clothing or uh, or traditional crafts and things like that. It's it's completely something alien to to younger generation. Huh? But in the same time, it's they have a very fresh view of it when using it, for instance, in uh, in fashion or or anything like that. Then you have the clash with saying, ah, that's not ours. You know, you have you have the embroidery is completely alien, and it's uh, that's a shame, and da 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 da. No. so so no, you have museum where you have your let's say uh, nationally known uh, or, or formal cultural or or heritage, you know. And then you have all the other one, you know, like the language. You have the Arabic classic language, and then you have all the dialect and, and all the, the new uh, slang words that are coming in. I guess culture is in the is is yeah. We could compare it to the to the language. You have the formal one, and then you have all the rest that is more used than the formal one. I think that's such a brilliant example because in in the same meeting that Maro was referring to where we were talking with our partners and our network about as we were designing this website, this Turathna website, what, you know, what is culture? And so we put, we put on the, we had like snippets, you know, uh, audio um, recordings of uh, different dialects and, and a lot of modern language and a lot of modern slang. And what was so like clear is that like, there was such a nervousness about accepting anything new. So no, 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 no. Culture is what we inherited. And I'm like, but then that's heritage, exactly. That's, that's literally what heritage is. And, and I'm like, well, but culture evolves because otherwise, how do we ever modernize? And if we pretend that the language of today is not our, our language, then what is the next generation going to learn about it? And so, you know, today's culture is tomorrow's heritage, if you think of it that way. And a really, a really it became such an almost angry conversation and all that. It, it brought two very interesting points in my mind. One is that there seems to be a negative definition of identity in the sense that it's not what I am. It's not, it's what I'm not. I know I'm not this. I know I'm not that. This modern stuff is not what my culture. My culture is Malouf, Badla Arbiya, and that's, you know, and that's pretty much it. Anything that's new to that is a bit of a challenge and I don't want to deal with it. Um, and then the second thing that came out is, is very much the very um, simple um, definition of culture in the sense that it is what the the thing that is not disputed is the only thing people accept. And so it, it becomes, instead of it enriching, it simplifies the conversation. And I think that was, a, that's exactly why we thought this project was really important. And, you know, we're putting a lot of stuff on the website that people are like, why, why are you putting this? This is in Libyan culture. If we put, you know, some of the, the more like rap music that's come out of the revolution, or we put some of the graffiti or some of the really amazing contemporary artists that are coming out of the country. Um, spoken word stuff, written stuff, and people are really, really not reacting well to it. And the newer generation challenged the the the, the concepts and the ideas, so that's good. And they and they they are not afraid to go and visit the other part of the country. I had the pleasure of meeting uh, Tiwa Banusa, who's obviously one of the incredible uh, young artists, and she is so good at pushing the buttons of people <laughs> and challenging their understanding. And and I hope we have more uh, more of her. Um, and perhaps the, part of the problem with our consultation was it was consulting a lot of lawyers and activists and maybe we're too conservative to be um, opening opening up. Um, so one of the, you know, we've been talking a lot and sorry, this isn't part of the prepared question. So bear with me as I, as I construct it. But one of the things that we've been discussing is the power of art in really facilitating 
positive change. But actually, we obviously also see art being used very negatively by by governments and states in the form of propaganda art. Um, and so I wonder whether you've thought about the question of, you know, how art can be used to write stories from both sides, the sort of the success of a revolution, but also to try and hold back a people or to try to kind of stamp a very deliberate identity. And you mentioned the Ministry of Culture, which is something that always makes me a little bit nervous if you have um, a government deciding on what's art and what's culture uh, that is not truly independent in its mandate. And so maybe we can just explore the kind of link between art and propaganda as well as art being always a force for good. Well, if you start with the, with art with propaganda, the, the thing of... Uh... Um, that worked in the, in the in the former propaganda is this uh, um, mixing culture with tradition. Yeah? Uh, saying okay, for instance, even even for painters, uh, you need to draw like a, um, a traditional clothing. You need to draw um, tradition, you know, like art and crafts, uh, traditional art and crafts. Uh, sceneries that are um, well uh, have well disappeared, but uh, it's it, it was always pushing um, the students to to express themselves, if we can say that, through this kind of uh, uh, images. Um, so, well, that's purely propaganda because then then you push that your, your identity is this, and you fix people to this identity. Um, without really reflecting on it, it can be used as a reflective, as a reflection tool, but um, it haven't been done this way. So, uh, uh, so yes, I agree with you. When when uh, a non-prepared Ministry of Culture uh, start uh, talking about uh, culture and identity, it's it can be dangerous. It is dangerous in general. Uh, I think that uh, a good minister of culture shouldn't talk about culture, <laughs> in a way, nor identity. No? Uh, it, it shouldn't be even in the speeches. Uh, maybe it can be in the plans, it can be in the long-term plan or so, but uh, even in Libya we have uh, bigger problems than, than, than this, in, in a way, to be spoken, outspoken about. Because in a way, uh, you, you said that before, it always gives, um, brings in aggressivity. Yeah? Uh, because it's like a confrontation. Uh, you ask people to be naked in front of people, uh, naked with their minds in a way. Uh, art for that, it can be used um, in other ways. If you if you come from the the idea the, the concept that um, whatever you express as uh, X person from X country, then you express the culture of this country. You no, know, as a, on a personal level. So if you do a workshop, if you do uh, whatever about about uh, uh, I don't know animals, about express yourself, about doing you know uh, sand pies or, or, or anything, um, then you work on this concept of knowing oneself and knowing knowing the society. You know, you playing with a neighbor. Uh, you know, you kind of interact with a, with a neighbor and as a society. Uh, if you think of culture and society, even interaction, even uh, talking to each other, even driving uh, in, uh, alongside of each other is 
a culture. Yeah, uh, it's not only food. It's it's food. Yes, it's uh, it's but it's going to the supermarket. It's going to the bakery. Uh, all that's all that is is culture. Yeah. So art, how art, for instance, can put all this together. Uh, it's tricky, but I guess if uh, we can, art can make people start working together. Um, we could reach um, some kind of uh, result to be discussed. I don't know. It's very fuzzy. I know. <laughs> some of you, or maybe even one of you, is wondering how can I make a difference, or push things forward, or achieve accountability? Well, it's really quite easy. Just two clicks away. Go to libyanjustice.org and click on donate to make a one-off donation or to give regularly. There really is no such thing as too little or too much. Your support is crucial to achieving justice in Libya. Thank you very much. But for now, enjoy the episode. The fuzziness is part of the exploration, isn't it? It's not, um, it would be very worrying if everyone had a very clear idea of what art or culture is. For me, it's a tool. Art, for personally, art is a tool. It's a, it's a soft tool, but if it's not considered as a tool, it's, it's strange to say it. Uh, because, for instance, you you've heard of this uh, of this book, no? Shamsa Nawafid Morlaka. Of course. Yeah? Yeah. So that's a form of art. Yes, it's written. Yes, it's written. So maybe uh, uh, saying people focus on it more, even if people don't read. But for people focus as culturally as poetry or, or literature in general in the culture. Let's say it's uh, it's more evident than drawing or, or sculpture. But this was. Uh, became became a tool of hatred, you know, for something that is totally cultural. I mean, swear words, nasty, nasty talk, and and everything. It's in everyday culture. You know, you hear it every time. But when it's uh, outspoken and it's written as uh, a way to express an artistic way to express, then it can uh, bring out aggressivity. Uh, extreme aggressivity. I think that is such a good example because it, it brings, I always think that, you know, as, as a population, we are quite, um, we have like a split personality of what we are, what we actually are and what we pretend we are. And that story around the, you know, um, the book you mentioned is precisely that, you know, we all know that that's the language we use and that's the kind of reality on the ground of how young people speak and the issues that come up. But we want to kind of, there's this hideous degree of self-censorship that occurs and you hope that just with time and that people feel liberated to express themselves freely and not always be questioned. And, and, and you said so beautifully in your explanation right now that you see art as a tool. And um, I think I heard you in an interview um, mentioning that you see your art as instruments, as an instrument for dialogue and to question the viewer. Um, a great example for me of that and is your is, is your um, installation Zarda, which um, I mean, just the name itself brings so many emotions in me of, um, you know, like, you know, the just the typical t- use of that term in our in our lives like someone's you know when someone passes their exams like we want our picnic now we want our celebration now um and so it's such a comfortable word and it's it's normally such a word that we think of as this very positive thing um and the way you i mean obviously i'm not gonna uh, this will show how much i'm in love with your with your work but i'll try to be quick but what you've done so beautifully there is you took something that we're very very familiar with and you made it so uncomfortable to look at um, you know, you, the way that you laid out the work. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's it's the role of art. 
Um, disturbing. Um, but it was like, it, it sort of the, you know, I, I remember very clearly when we went on picnics in the beach or whatever, there was such a meticulous preparation. You know, it was like almost like a military operation. You go, you flatten your rug very clearly. Everything is put in the right place. The, the, you know, the pot that you cook your tea on is in a specific corner and always in the same corner. Your watermelon that's chopped up is in the other corner. Um, and, you know, for me, it was such an evocative, emotional memory of my my growing up. Um, but then you get closer to your artwork and obviously that's not what you what you see. And it really makes us consider the chaos that happens after a picnic. Um and I don't know if I've done justice to describing it, but I would love for you to talk us through a little bit about what you were thinking, because it was quite early on in the revolution. It was like 2012 or something that you created that. So you already saw the chaos then. Um, but then maybe you could talk us a little bit about your thinking and the conversation you were hoping to start about the transition in Libya and whether you think that conversation is actually happening. Yeah, I, I was seeing it coming, <laughs> the, the, the chaos. Uh, actually, we're not that bad. Uh, it's a natural way to behave after uh, what the society went through, uh, and this, 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 you know, uh, if if you you keep any animal, let's say that we are intelligent animal, but if you keep any animal in a cage for a long time, I mean, you you cannot uh, imagine uh, that he will he or she or it will behave normally when it's out of the cage, you know. Uh, it can just stay in its place and it can go around, it can turn around and, and bite you and, and, you know, a lot of things, but it won't behave normally. <laughs> you know? so, so it was kind of, that's why I was seeing this uh, arrive. But um, what also shocked me um, at, at that time, it's just after the revolution when you had all uh, the the NGOs and thing named uh, on uh, on um, on uh, martyrs. This word is also quite heavy, but it was named on that, and you could see that it's just to uh, not on its honor on on his or, or his honor, but to reach some other uh, uh, aims, you know, personal aims or uh, you know. So. Um, um, yeah, that annoyed me, and uh, I was afraid that this would grow into coming on, into becoming, uh, for instance, parties and and uh, and political sides and 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 all this that like it actually happened. So um, yeah, so that's why just I was putting a small bell and trying to ring a small bell, <laughs> like saying, "Wait, that I mean, uh, um, all these. Uh, let's try not to make all this uh, useless." You know all this death and all this uh, uh, beauty that, that happened because it's also I mean if you if you drink a pack of uh, whatever juice or so you enjoy it at at that point, but then you throw the pack. Um, so the the time or the the seconds that we lived during the the revolution, at least part of the of the the, the Libyans, um, was like um, uh, uh, I don't know uh, a dream in a way. No? Uh, even even the bad sides, even the bad moments, uh, they were extreme. You know, the the sense. I mean, you could uh, feel the, the the nervousness. Sometimes you could feel the 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 love. You could feel the hatred. You could feel, but all the sentiments were very pure, at least for a big majority of people. Either hatred or or love, the two. You know, so the 
problem there is that as usual we couldn't we weren't able to absorb this and uh, the let's say either the NGOs because they were too young for that or the government or the, even the, the parties that were helping let's say um, uh, we weren't prepared and we, we haven't done enough uh, to cure, to absorb, to, uh, to try and find uh, words to what happened. You know? It's like, you know, injustice, what, a word that I, I don't like or a, a thing that I don't like is this, uh, um, how do you say, al-intiqaliya. Mm. Transitional justice. Yeah. What is it? What is it? If I mean, for me, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, and I, I'm not. I don't know. But for me, as as an artist, this is a very interesting uh, two words to to reflect on. on you know, transitional justice is justice. Uh, can it be transitional? As as words, huh? I, I don't think as a concept of transitional justice. But justice is one. No, it's not the lady covered with a rat in a you know with eye with a blinded eye, but it's this tree, you know, with a, that makes shadow to everybody, uh, in a way. So how how is it transitional? Yeah. I couldn't understand it. I understand. I know what it means in in general. But for instance, uh, uh, if you say the the average person or the society. When you say adala intiqaliya, you say, okay, okay, what is it, <laughs> you know? And how can I uh, react to it? What can I say to it? Hmm? No, it's, uh, it is a term that's, that's problematic for lawyers as well as artists. Um, and there's been actually a lot of debate ar- around it. I won't take up much time, but I, but I feel like I should come in as the, as the lawyer. Um, and it's a, very, it's a very uncomfortable concept for lawyers, and I'll tell you why, because it feels like what you're qualifying is the justice, that there is a different kind of justice in a transition. It took me years and years to realize that it's just really bad writing. <laughs> what, and, but what it, what it is saying is that instead of saying that justice needs to be different in a transition, it's saying that justice needs to be part of a transition. Um, and then, so I think maybe the way I tend to use it actually is to say, and I don't know if you've heard me throughout this episode, is I, is I often say the term justice in transition as opposed to transitional justice because it, it is quite a grating topic. And I agree, I agree with you. It makes me... It makes me feel ugh when I hear it, you know. Um, but Zerda is a, is a bit questioning also this, this concept, you know, because you say it's uh, okay. You have you have like the, the middle thing with saying dam shuhada haba, you know, that you you put that's the carpet where you put all your uh, personal uh, love in a way, you know, all this is there, and you the feeling good also because when you say dam shuhada haba, you say okay, I'm doing my uh, uh, my my um, duty in saying that, but then all the rest, all the rest, they are shuhada as well, you know, even the living ones, <laughs> you know, and they all are scattered and and not part of this comfort zone. And that's why also I I usually when I say zarda or usually when I name my my uh, my my work. Um, they either bring you to smile or they, they question. And I never really say everything clearly because when it's clear, then it's settled. You will say, okay, I agree with you or I don't, I don't agree with you. But instead of that, I think that art should be a way, as I said, a way to, to make people reflect. So it's there scattered 
first they don't know if they could come in the art and, and take the pieces to read because it's written small and the images are small. So there is this kind of questioning and this, what I call the in-betweenness um, is a situation where um, you cannot be yourself as being uh, uh, stable in your mind in, and in your uh, view. You know? When someone is in, in the middle like this, it can, you know, it can absorb more uh, uh, thoughts than being sorted. You know, you, the gray area. You, you, for instance, you have, you have, uh, you like this food? No. You like this one? Yes. Yeah. But sometimes when uh, someone brings you something that you cannot really recognize, really, you say, "What is it? Is it something that I like or I don't like?" Yeah. So while you are in this period of "I like," "I don't like," you reflect, yeah. and that's that's the aim of it, really. After, if you reflect in what direction, that's not really my uh, my um, role, let's say. Yeah. But at least, in a, in a way, what I see as my duty as, a, as, a, as an artist, let's say, is to make people uh, give them this lapse of time where they can be everywhere, anywhere, in reflection. I think that, that transitions us uh, beautifully into um, to what I wanted to explore with you next, uh, Hagia, which is this, this idea of you know, I think with with your artwork like Zerda and others, um, it, it it's meant, like you said, or from what I understood that you were saying, is that it's meant to kind of move you internally, right? And 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 so you you don't see this as black or white, but you come to this and 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 sit with it in uncomfortably for that moment and and take a you know a strong look. So I think. You know, that's the art has that way of, of kind of extending into your personal, right? Um, that maybe other forms cannot. And so, um, so have what role do you see art having in helping to promote um, or facilitate reconciliation, recording our events, our truth, our, our, our narrative, um, and you know, um, and that you know, justice in transition or transitional justice. Because clearly there is a, a place for that, uh, a role. Some people already, some artists already started doing it. I don't know, I don't think it's conscious, but it's uh, through uh, curiosity. Uh, but for instance, you have uh, Arab designers, let's say Arab as as a, as a uh, identity, let's say, uh, um, say that have started... Uh, writing in Tifinagh, for instance, and uh, and putting it in their in their design, so appropriating this uh, part of the culture that is in a way alien to them, but they are curious and they want to know. You, know? Uh, you have uh, after just after, for instance, uh, after the the revolution, you had the first festival, and maybe the last one, <laughs> the with the with the Berber the Amazir festival was done in Benghazi. Because there was this curiosity of knowing, oh, what this, what these creatures on the other way or the other part of the country, you know, they speak some other language we don't know. You know? Uh, some, uh, for instance, uh, Habka, you have uh, Abdullah Diya. Uh, he, in in his uh, he's a mangaka, and 
he merges the, the manga that is Japanese with local culture, with like uh, divinities that are from, you know, Akakos time, you know, from Garaman time. And so, so there is a, a merging of different uh, parts of the country in one person or in one expression. Um, and a lot of young, young artists do that. Even, even the older generation did it, but it was uh, very subtle. Now it's kind of a, a, a aim, you know? No, we, I refuse to be only from this part. Yes, I am proud to be on this part, but I refuse to be only this. And I'm curious about the other uh, cultures uh, within my, my country, you know, or outside of it, you know? So, so we, we, we still not talk about, you know, like a citizen of the world and things like that. <laughs> if only we think, we think of, uh, of uh, a citizen of, of, uh, of a country. Um, so uh, it can be used, encouraged in a way, uh, like to see, to see how, how others in the same country uh, express themselves. Maybe residencies would be, would be a, a good way, uh, internal residencies. Yeah, if we think of a, of a very practical way to uh, to uh, uh, to tackle this program, uh, mixed workshops, but not big ones, like a small a small like uh, maybe like binodes, uh, two artists working together on 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 the subject they they uh, they they look, they uh, they choose, um, and I guess continuing. I don't know if I'm I'm. I'm uh, answering right the 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 question there's no right answer right i think that it's um it's it's looking at art as a as a way to achieve um uh you know that that kind of recording of of because this is again i mean be it the graffiti or the art installations or uh, the writing um it's all a part of that you know the keeping on record our our events and our truth let's say uh, a social artwork that have been done in the old city that was like a, a it's a mosaic um uh, on in a little square in the old city um so for for that uh, it was the first time that something like that happened. It's very um, common in other parts of the of the world. But this, we said, okay, there is a um, a water tap here, uh, Shishma. Um, so uh, so we want to do uh, to cover it with uh, with the mosaic. So I asked for a few friends to come, and uh, and we started doing this mosaic. I chose for instance, a few few colors and so, and um, and then well before that. Uh, it was like a suspense. What we, how people will react to it? To have a bunch of people coming and start doing tiles on a, uh, doing a mosaic. And luckily, uh, Libyans maybe we can say that are extremely curious. Uh, and what is said is the say like curiosity kills the cat. Uh, luckily, it doesn't kill it all the time. But anyway, they were coming and start talking. What you doing? And then you invite. We, we invited them to work and. Uh, and we ended up like in three days workshop where you had all types of, it's in Babel Huria in the old city. So imagine the, the atmosphere there. And you had from the guy who was completely drunk to the sheikh uh, coming to work. You had the span, this span, you know, with also they were like uh, uh, night ladies, uh, they were like beggars, they were like workers, you know, all types, students, 
coming after the school, or maybe they run after the, they, they run from school and they came. So you had all these people working together on one mosaics. They didn't know what it was. They enjoyed the time they were there because they were chatting. I mean, I thought they knew some. Some I thought they knew each other's, and they didn't. It was just the the the, the time they spent being happy, <laughs> you know, doing this that made them uh, familiar no? and accepting each other's. No? So for me, this is the beauty of, let's say, social art. If I, don't, I won't say art in general, because then I, uh, art has other purpose. But as, if you think of uh, art as a social tool, uh, that's it, I mean, for me. No? When people feel good about doing something, either artistic, either building together, either you know, uh, doing something nice uh, together, uh, then then we we just need to do a lot of that. And something that is important, I think, two things. Uh, before doing these mosaics, uh, I was working on the tiling, you know, uh, uh, like uh, doing stone stone work during maybe six months before. So the people around were seeing me working in the sun because for me, I enjoy it, but it's also part of uh, like a um, social study that I'm, I'm doing in a way, personal one. Uh, they were looking at me first. It was, what is this foreigner doing here, Tylee? Uh, some even went to the, to the mayor and asked if they could give me money because I'm posting, working, you know, so I could stay. I could stay at home, and and they would, uh, you know, I had I had the good uh, deeds, uh, and then they knew because people talk. They knew that I was from uh, from the old city. So it was all a very. It's it's like like the Zarda. It was all a, a miss. What what is this girl doing here? You know, and this in between the gray zone that I'm talking about in in art made them comfortable in a way. To come and talk and be part of this, you know. So, so this, of course, it's not something that happens uh, every time, and it's very difficult to uh, to organize it, you know, uh, and and exactly have you know the the. It's like a chemical uh, uh, mix, you know. Sometimes you just add a bit of this one, and it just blows <laughs> in your in your face, you know. <laughs> So, but but uh, this is this is an equation. When it happens, it's marvelous. That's so beautiful. It's um, I think that's the unique the unique power of social art, as you as you. I think yes, yes, and it's it's something really beautiful in in a way. Yeah. I feel like I need to stop talking because you, what you've said is so powerful. But I just wanted to say that actually there's, you know, it is a, and I, I, know, I know you dislike this um, term, Hadia, but this is a fundamental part of transitional justice actually is the kind of finding ways outside the realm of traditional justice because there's no way a courtroom could ever bring that kind of reconciliation. Um, and and it's, that, it's that kind of vital role that art can really play to to bridge differences um and to bring people together and and you know there's there's hundreds of examples in in other conflicts of how that worked well um and and you know in bosnia it was, is, is a very strong example um where they brought women from both sides of the conflict and um and i think it's it is such a a powerful tool and so i don't um i feel like i don't want to detract by that by by bringing lawyers into the equation but um 
what I, I, we we have a lot of very committed listeners to this to this podcast. And are there any initiatives that you are working on on this kind of stuff of bringing people together that they can support that we can include a link to in our uh, in the notes to this episode so people who want to support this incredible vital work that you're trying to do can can contribute in the old city uh, now as as I'm part of the of, of the old city. Uh, uh, board, we can do things like that. It's open for us to do that. For, for me, it's a marvelous occasion, you know, because then the, the things that I couldn't do as as a, a small artist on my in my home, I can do there. You know, like like this public space can can be done, and I think we can. I mean, yes, we will do other uh, other projects like this, um, either in. Um, in uh, like in, in graffiti actually uh, in doing graffitis but we need to find a way to be uh, to include the society the internal society for instance of the old city for, from uh, from this part and I'm, I'm thinking small for the moment but it's part of the big chain um, the same uh, we will have like uh, rebuilding um, old houses uh, with with like traditional techniques and this will be also part of uh, of the of the thing, you know. That can be. Yeah, it's not art; it's architecture, but it's also a social work. Uh, in and I don't know. I mean, it, it comes. They, they they will be like also on the seaside. Uh, there will be some uh, also with old city. Uh, we will have some areas like free for people to reinterpret the space and and engage with the space. So this will uh, will will come along, um, and I guess, and we will have a lot of small public uh, spaces in the old city. You know, it's like all small pilots for for other uh, other places. So, so yeah, I'm 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 thinking very much into the old city because that's what I'm focusing on for the moment, and because also it's a place, so uh, so I can in a way express my uh, views in this. All this just makes me more homesick. <laughs> Absolutely, mm -hmm. it can it can be done also remotely. <laughs> <laughs> to some extent, yeah, it's not the same, yeah. But uh, yeah, and it's a, a long uh, it's a long path. I think it's a long. Uh, so so not everything will be done now. I guess I'm sure you have time to to join in. So that that was the kind of official part of the conversation. Now we have the section I told you about debunking the the narrative. Um, so this is meant to be super quick. Um, and um, so I'll say a state, so I'll say a statement or Marwa will say a statement and then we want, there's, there'll be two or three maximum and then we'll, um, we just want your reaction. So here's the first one. Mm -hmm. Art is a luxury we just don't have time for right now. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You get 10 points for being the shortest answer. We tell, we tell every guest it has to be short and to the point, and no one has been this precise. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, that's brilliant. Okay, um, Marwa. Libyan culture is clear, our traditions, clothes, matluf, etc. It's, it's about preserving the old, not the new. Uh, I nearly can react in this other way, but in, in the first way. But uh, no, it needs, it needs to be a lot more uh, to, uh, in, in tones, not like that. Culture is not monotone. Art is what we see in museums, not on the street. Not only, but not at all. <laughs> Brilliant. You should be doing more of these for us, or you should train some of our other guests on, <laughs> on how to do these. I love that. I love how precise and clear you are. Thank you so much for uh, your passion, 
your commitment and your vision for what art can do in Libya. I think it is absolutely vital and we're lucky to have you. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. The, the, your work is, is great. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying Libya Matters, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This will help us get discovered and to keep growing. To let us know what you think or to suggest any guests or topics for future episodes, please contact us on our Facebook page at Libya Matters or tweet us at Libya Matters Pod. Libya Matters is produced by Lawyers for Justice in Libya. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Libyan Justice. This season of Libya Matters was hosted by me, Ilham Saudi, Marwa Mohammed, and Mohammed Al Misiri. It is produced by Tariq Al Miri. The people who put season two of Libya Matters together are Finbar Anderson, Zaira Edwards, Mayad Al Makki, Mohammed Al Misiri. Elise Fletcher, Nada Kiswanson, Marwa Mohammed, Tim Molyneux, and me, Ilham Saudi. This episode of Libya Matters is made possible by our partnership with international media support, IMS. Hold up. 